Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Goal Line Podcast. Today's special guest is Lauren Gallagher. She has a PhD, and she is the co-founder of Sync It Up Sports, which is a platform that she uses to help raise and build mental toughness in kids and in coaches, um, particularly in the soccer world, but also throughout um, these kids' lives and the coaches' lives as well. So, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much, Jesse. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Awesome, awesome. So, Lauren, the the first thing I want to want to ask you is, you know, where when did you kind of realize that you wanted to enter that psychology realm and start to help build mental toughness and find ways to help build the mental toughness in the youth? That's a good question. And recently, I was asked to to write about this. Um, you know, I started my career. Um, after college, not really knowing what I wanted to do and started, did a little stint in the corporate world and quickly decided that was not for me. But at the time, the New York City Board of Ed was hiring special education teachers and you didn't really need a degree in education. And they, they saw that I had a few educational credits from my undergrad. And so I, I got, a, I got a teaching job in one of the toughest high schools in New York City at the time, inner city high school. And it was one of the most challenging and inspiring jobs I think I ever had. And it really, um, it really paved the way for my whole career. Um, I learned so much from those kids who dealt with so much every day. I mean, they were, it was the Latin Kings and the Crips and Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was the, the Crips and the Bloods were the two, um, you know, gangs that were right. in, in those communities. And I really had to learn fast. It was a lot, a lot of almost coaching, teaching, and parenting all in one. And I learned so much from them because so many times their basic needs weren't even being met. So I realized a lot about the importance of connecting with kids and the importance of it's not so much what you teach, but how you teach it, how you connect, and how you help either add or deplete a child's um, resilience and helping them build that. Because in some cases, actually all cases, I think resilience is the crux. It is a cornerstone of mental fitness, of being mentally strong, because we're not going to succeed at everything we do. And resilience is the ability to deal with failure and bounce back. And I have to say those kids taught me a lot of lessons about resilience that was really paved the way for me wanting to go into education and psychology and, um, and bring that also to my coaching. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So how did you relate to, to these young kids who are, in the gang life, you know, what, what were some of the strategies and the tricks, not tricks, but tools that you use for yourself to help build a relationship so you could actually get your message across to them? <laughs> I was like, it was like on the job training. I was just, I was flying by the seat of my pants. Um, you know, in some cases, I really had to, I, I realized I had to get their attention, right? And I didn't have much credibility with them, to tell you the truth. You know, I was... Right. This blonde 24 year old from Long Island who, you know, they looked at me. I think their nickname for me was Barbie at times. Some of them. <laughs> but what happened was, um, I had to teach this English course to kids who were juniors and seniors, some of them who could barely read and write. 
And so at that point I knew I wasn't going to change. I wasn't going to change so much the academic piece with them, but what I felt I could do was spark um, a love and a curiosity in them. I felt like it was my, I went back and I started researching just all, all um, people in history that they could relate to. So, you know, people like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Oprah, um, Maya Angelou. And, but, but we didn't just talk about what they wrote and what they did. We kind of delved deep into their life stories and some of the really extreme obstacles, you know, abuse, um, you know, poverty, some of the things that each of them dealt with, but that they overcame, you know, and we, we really looked and, and I think because I did that, and because I would take time to talk to the kids about their lives and my life, and we shared, we did a lot of sharing. You know what? At the time, I was lucky. The New York City Board of Ed had all the special ed kids housed in the basement of the building. Now, if that doesn't send a message to kids, so I felt the most important thing I could do was you know, show them how much I valued them and showed how much we can learn from each other. And when we broke it down, when they started to see the human part of all of us, I became just another person and, you know, who cared about them. Caring is one of the strongest motivators you can have in working with kids. And it's it's as simple as that. You show you care and kids will listen. And kids will learn. So I think that's one of the most important things I bring into coaching. I think sometimes we have to spend that time getting to know kids. They're not just, you know, they're not just athletes. They're people. And when you connect with them on a human level, they're more likely to open up to you. They're more likely to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is what really, you know, that's the glue. That's the connection. And that's what helps people be brave. That's true strength right? When we can be vulnerable and that's kind of the opposite of how we're socialized. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a re a reframing of, of what mental toughness really is. So I know that was a long answer. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That is awesome. So you also played soccer at Cornell and while you were there, did that environment, did what your coach, did, did that environment that your coach played with you guys, did that kind of help grow you and and give you experiences to take now for yourself as a, as a teacher in this inner city school in New York? Yeah, I think all the lessons um, that I learned playing soccer prepared me um, really for working with, you know, with that type, with that section of youth, Um, you know, every in athletics, you know, it's an even playing field. It doesn't matter who you are. When you step on that field, it's an equalizer. So, you know, when you treat people like that, everyone is equal and, you know, it just allows you to kind of connect with people. Um, our coach always did a great job of connecting with us as well. Um, he didn't, you know, he did it in the little ways, you know, we'd all be stretching and he would, you know, just walk around and talk about, you know, okay, ask us questions about what we did the night before. Sometimes I think he was just trying to figure out, you know, where we were. <laughs> right, anyway, right. But, but you know what? He made it a personal connection too. And it was, you know, I think sometimes in soccer, we've gotten away from that a little bit. Everything is so structured and so, um, you know, so soccer oriented. And and there's a place for that. It's soccer training. I get it. But there's also, I think, a really big place for connecting 
with our players. And that connection gives you a lot of, um, a lot of power to, to, to make a big impact in, in children's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And so once you, once you got into New York and you kind of, like you mentioned, you were learning on the job how to deal with these crazy situations and you finally left, left, what were the next steps that you took after leaving this, this public school in New York to, to earn your master's and PhD? That's so funny. I use a slide when I talk to kids about, you know, the journey to, um, quote, success, right? Or where you end up. And everybody thinks it's this linear line and, you know, that just kind of moves forever upward. Um, and when you really look at it, it's really more of a scatter plot with right. a lot of ups and downs. So after leaving, um, after leaving that job, it actually, inspired me to go back to school for early childhood special ed because I felt that in terms of education, you know, when you get them in the high school level, it was, I almost felt a little hopeless in terms of, I got them too late, right? right. I got them too late in the game. And for me, the, the lesson was we need to start teaching these kids these things when they're younger, Right. And we, where, where they can really start to embody those things and grow with those skills. So I went back to school to get my master's in early childhood special education and realized after a year of that, that I just was not cut out to be a teacher doing the same thing, like, you know, every day right. having a schedule. But from, from all these experiences I had, I realized I really loved connecting with kids, working with them. Um, on the challenges and the adversity they faced and helping them find value in themselves and, and find the strength in themselves to be able to persevere and to be able to face any challenge that came their way and knowing that they could survive. So that's what kind of led me into the school psychology. I loved the field of education, but I really wanted to work more with kids that wasn't in such a structured way. So it really was an up and down, um, you know, it was just like a plot twist. You know, I, I finished my master's and I was like, hmm, well, that's not really what I want to do. But, you know, I think that's one of the things that we have to teach kids these days also is that they think every decision has to be the perfect decision. And if it's not, they're devastated. That's what I'm seeing in working with kids from very young ages to college age kids. They need that perfect internship. And what I want to say to them is sometimes you need those experiences that teach you what you don't want to do. You right. know, you learn to pivot and not, not any one decision is permanent. There's always change. We get very stuck on these ways of being and decisions we make and we think, that is the absolute end of it, but it's not, it never has to be. So, and it teaches you how to be flexible, right? How to face something and go, okay, it's not really what I do. Why don't I try a different way? That's perseverance. Like those, I feel we almost need to teach kids these, how to, how to, how to gain perseverance, right? We want them to all to have grit. We want them to understand how to work hard. Well, we kind of need to teach them what that looks like. It's messy. I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's challenging, but it's something you almost have to go through in order to get to the next step to build that strength. I say mental fitness is like building thick skin. You build one thin layer at a time. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. So 
how can, or yeah, so how can these kids, you know, what are some things these kids and really just anybody can do on a daily basis to help build that mental fitness? Well, I think you have to be really aware of, um, of your approach to life and your mindset. I think mindset is everything. So mindset is just how we approach everything that happens in life, right? So, you know, we're always taught situations are just situations until we apply meaning to it. So it's the language, the self-talk we use with ourselves, how we approach situations, what risks we're able to take. I, I like using the framework, um, you know, when we're facing a situation, there's especially a stressful or a challenging situation. We have to look at it almost as approach, cope, and recover. So how we approach things says a lot. If we go in like, I have to do this, if we create an absolute that there has to be something that gets done, we might shy away from it because we're like, oh, I might not be able to do that. If we go in and we stay, you know, committed to the process of trying to get somewhere, you're more likely to stick with it. You know, so how we approach things and the mindset we create for ourselves is huge. Our thoughts are energy. We're all just made of energy. Our thoughts are energy. So how we choose to think about even approaching a situation, I think is critical for gaining that strength and that toughness to be able to persevere when things don't go your way. Um, I also am a big proponent of learning, um, you know, mindful breathing. Breath work is huge in terms of, because there's a lot of emotional regulation that also has mm -hmm. to building things like determination and perseverance and grit, right? There's a lot of emotions that come up. Oh, I'm going to fail. Or when I do fail, how did, what does that do to me? When I make a mistake in life or on the field, how do I cope with it? Do I, you know, fall to the ground and pound my fists like my son used to do when he was really little? <laughs> that inspired me a little bit too while I was coaching. Um, but learning how to manage those feelings, and they're valid feelings, right? It, it, but learning how to work with our feelings, learning how to de-escalate ourselves and, and emotionally regulate ourselves is all part of the process. That's why, you know, it really comes down to being able to be your own best leader, right? Understanding what you need to keep yourself moving in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. So what can coaches do now too to help these kids? Because I mean, these coaches are are spending a lot of time with them, especially at the college level. When you see them almost every day, you're spending an hour or two with them a day. But even you know at the youth level, sometimes it's two or three days a week for a couple hours a day. You're getting them maybe right after school or or what have you. But you know, what are some things these coaches can now do to help again build mental toughness, build resilience, and kind of ch and help them shift their approach to more of a positive mindset. Right. Well, you know, the reason I got into this is because I heard so many college coaches having to spend so much time either teaching or reteaching kids all of these skills, how to be a good teammate, the mental fitness part, dealing with mistakes. I had, uh, you know, I did a whole bunch of research before I jumped into this and went to conferences and read books and had conversations with, with some of the top coaches, you know, at least in the soccer world. Um, you know, Becky Burley at University of Florida does a huge amount 
of of this mental fitness training and team building. Um, Anson Dorrance does mm-hmm. also a huge amount of character building. And, you know, wouldn't it be, I thought to myself now, again, here I go. It was like me teaching high school, right? When I made that decision, like, you know what? High school's too late. In my right. book, we call it early intervention. And I don't even like that term. I actually think it's, it's early proaction. Let's just be proactive. Why wouldn't right. we be teaching the foundational skills of, of perseverance, of mental toughness at these younger ages? All we have to do is, you know, and that, all we have to do is kind of put it in age appropriate terms, talk to them, have conversations, tell them stories that they can understand. I think that's one of my strengths because I've worked with young kids for so long. I started taking these really high level concepts that, co- you know, college coaches were teaching, like things like mindset, things like mental fitness, things like mindfulness, and you just break it down into short little things. So I started creating almost a different model of coaching, which is, you know, I developed a curriculum. I took what I thought were the most important, um, you know, almost like ingredients for building mental fitness. And I created a curriculum and, and created a model because What's the one thing you always hear out of coaches, you know, that when you talk about kind of, you know, needing to build mental fitness in their players, it's usually, I don't have time. Right. So what I wanted to do is create some really easy, practical ways and a model. So if you're training three days a week, one day a week, you can maybe spare 15 minutes to sit your team down and do a lesson with them, have a chat with them. You know, have them share some, some stories that they have. Get them involved in what they're, what they're thinking, how they're feeling. And the curriculum I built created a really easy, they're like pre-made, right? They're just like, and they explain to the coach what it is. So mindful breathing. What I started doing at our club is teaching the coaches. I was just on a call last night. And as everybody now is going, you know, getting back to play after being out for so long, um, we talked about the idea of here, this might be an opportunity to do some things differently. And I taught them and we created a video of mindful breathing, how you can incorporate one to two minutes of mindful breathing with your team at the beginning of practice. You could do it at the beginning of practice. You can do it. There's techniques for having them use their breath as transitions when you're having them transition from one activity to another. And, and maybe ending with it. You don't have to do all three, but they're just easy ways. So now if a coach brings that to their training and they integrate it, now the kids are starting to see, oh, this, this use of my breath to like calm myself down is not just something I do, you know, in school with the school psychologist or with a sports psychologist. It's something we do as a regular practice. And you can, if you can, if you can take five minutes to do that, I think, it goes a long way and it's teaching a lifelong skill. Now you have a, you know, a player that comes off the field or you see them starting to maybe, I used to have, um, I used to coach a kid and I, I lovingly, he's one of my favorite kids that I still keep in touch with. You know, we nicknamed him Red Card Ryan because, you know, <laughs> used to just go from like zero, you know, to 180 right. and you could see it happening. And, the problem is I, I'm also a big proponent of teaching kids the why behind things. When they, I've created in my curriculum these illustrations of what happens 
when our brains go into fight or flight, which is the response, the stress response we have that happens on the field when you have big feelings like frustration or anger or being scared or anxious. And then the, you know, what focused breathing can help actually, you show them how it helps open those neural pathways. It's why you can't make good decisions when you're stressed or anxious. And that's a huge skill for athletes to learn, right? When you're on the field and you're getting frustrated, your decision-making is going, is going to decrease. So the, what the, the thing I love about sports is how the coaches have to understand that this also ties in to performance. You know, this is, we're not just doing this for, you know, for the fun of it. And it's not a whole bunch of like kumbaya and, (laughs) and just for, you know, just making them better people. This is actually making them better athletes and teaching them about what they need to perform at their best. So I think it's a model for taking 10, 15 minutes once a week to do these things. And now you've opened up the conversation and you have a platform to talk to them in the moment when they need it. Right. So now the thing is, you know, how do you get the coaches to also buy into this being that, you know, a lot of coaches will take from their playing experiences and take what they've learned. And I'm sure, you know, back, back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the, when these coaches are coming up and playing, they didn't have the same like focus on this mental training, this mental toughness, toughness is meditation. You know, everyone will say the generation today is different. So how do you get these coaches that have never done anything like this? and have been successful to start to buy into, you know, what, what you're trying to teach them and teach these next generation of athletes? Well, I think it all comes with education. And I have a great video um, that every coach is aiming to win, right? Can we agree on Mm -hmm. that? Right. Every sure. coach, it's the, you know, it's what you're looking for. You're looking and, and in doing that, you're really looking to, develop peak performance in each of your players and your team. So that to me is the biggest um, motivator in terms of learning this. They just don't understand sometimes. It's like you don't know what you don't know until you learn it, right? So I think, um, first of all, it comes with culture and it comes with a club, you know, say, valuing this and, and actually you know, opening up that learning experience and being open to it. So I sent a video to the, to the club um, for our mental fitness training, one that Kobe Bryant did. And I think when you start to, when you start to show coaches and players, you know, what it looks like to do this at the highest levels by people who everyone knows is at the top of their game you know, it's, it's a motivate, it's a motivation for them to want to try it. Kobe Bryant said it best. He said, I was curious. Kobe Bryant was probably the best illustration of an athlete and a person with a growth mindset. He was always looking to get better. So instead of scoffing at some new technique that Phil Jackson was asking the Lakers to do, which was mindful breathing, right. he, he was open to it. And he decided to try it. And what he realized when the whole team started to do, to do it together, is that their performance, they were able to stay composed when things around them were going crazy. And it allowed them to perform better. So I think, you know, it's always about tying into what's important to coaches. And listen, the nature of competition is to win. And that's what we should be doing. But 
until we know the mental fitness components, mental fitness and the mental part of the game is probably like 90% of it, right? Everything starts with a thought, your attention. Mm -hmm your concentration, your knowledge of the game, how, you know, whether or not you'll be able to stay in a game after making a few mistakes, it, it, it really contributes so much to performance. And yet we don't really give it any training. You know, we don't give it any training time just because we don't know. We we don't, a lot of coaches just don't know about it. So I think the more that we let them know and that it's not such scary stuff. I've had many coaches say, well, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a sports psychologist. No, but you're a human being and right. you understand you're coaching kids. And so all I need to do is talk to you a little bit about the language you can use and, you know, how to fit it in. And you're good to go. I'm not asking it to be perfect. But when you start a little by little, right, you set little, add one extra thing, you know, to your training and all of a sudden, the kids have a whole new skill, and you have a whole new platform for talking to them about it. And for them, you actually empower them to start using it themselves. So they're now regulating themselves on the field and and learning where their optimal range is for performance, you know, where they need to be. If they, you know, they, they become more aware of their self-talk and being able to transform, being able to find things that they can learn from, you know, in negative and challenging situations, it's a huge skill. But all you need to do is take some time, you know, to, yeah. to talk about it. So, you know, as a parent, I always think you have to find a club that has a culture that values what's important to you, you know, and what, what you want your child to get out of an experience of a sporting experience. So, um, you know, it, it comes from there, but it's becoming more mainstream. people are starting to catch on. And this whole pandemic with the emphasis on mental health is I think a big wake up call for all of us and right. mental health and peak performance are inextricably linked. You like, if you look at mental, mental health as your overall, you know, state of being, you know what it feels like when you wake up on a day, right? And you just don't feel great. You're not yep. motivated, right? That's your mental state. That's the state of your mental health. And if we start to just look at it that way, you know, when we give tools to kids to kind of learn to what works best for them, you're giving them great strategies for the field and you're giving them great coping skills for life. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Absolutely. And so I'm, and I'm glad you touched on the pandemic part of things too, because as we spoke about the other day, um, you know, there's a lot of time to, you know, do nothing during this time, but there's also a lot of time to do a whole lot of things. So uh, can you touch on the the recipe versus routine things and, you know, how how it helps shape some people and how it can help people be more productive or, or less productive? Yeah, you know, we started at the beginning of this pandemic in our club, you know, really challenging everyone to transform challenge into opportunity. You know, so we, we worked a lot with that. And in doing that, um, we really started to work and challenge individuals to find what works best for them. You know, to me, this idea of having your own recipe for peak performance, because everyone's is going to look a little different. You know, some people need more sleep than others. Some people need to eat different things, but when we get curious about ourselves and we put some time into kind of figuring out, and that's what this pandemic 
has really allowed people to do. We have taken away all the distractions in life, right? We've been left with ourselves basically, right? And, you know, in the beginning they had a little bit of schoolwork, but like we pretty much were on our own in terms of you know, what, what we were going to schedule for ourselves during a day, what we're going to do with our time. So we challenged our players to find what is your recipe? What's your recipe for peak performance? And also just learning to get to know yourself a little bit better. That awareness is so critical for being able to, you know, be at your best. So the recipe is the things you need. And then some people do best when they create a routine from that recipe, you know, and I think you and I talked about this. Mm -hmm. I'm the type that like, there's some people that just thrive on routine and routine is very important for being able to be disciplined when you have a lot of wellness things or, or, or practices that you want to get in, in a day and you have limited time routines are really important and we cling to those routines, right? They also Mm -hmm. help create anxiety too, because they, they, they make us feel safe and secure. So, you know, during this pandemic, it's been nice to be able to kind of create your own routine based on recipe, but you always need the recipe. And sometimes I think Mm. the recipe is more important because on some days during this pandemic, I think we really also became very well acquainted with our own mood swings and our emotional state on Differing days, right? Sometimes you feel like you didn't do anything different and you woke up and this one day you're super motivated and the next day you're just like, everything is effort. And, you know, being okay with that and understanding also, you know what? All right, I'm not going to get all these in today. I'll get these in today and I'll do the rest of the recipe tomorrow. I'll make sure I fit that in. I think that's also a really good skill for um, students and athletes to learn as well that, Not every day, you know, when you get so attached to a routine, it can create a lot of stress for you when you can't fit it all in. So I think the recipe and then learning a balanced way of having it work for you within your own routine is really important. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I know once this whole thing started, you know, I wanted to get everything crammed into one day and try to do all these different things. And it just got kind of got me anxious. And I was like, okay, just there's just either not enough time, or I just don't want to do this every day. And, you know, I think I subconsciously started doing a little bit of a recipe thing. And it just helped me so much more just being able to relax and just, you know, get the things that I really need to get done in the day. And then if I have more time for something else, then, you know, I can get those done too. So that is awesome. But yeah, um, I, I, this time was here for a reason, actually. You know, there, it's funny. I had to do some lessons for the young kids online through, for work. And there was this book called The Very Impatient Caterpillar. And it talks about how he had to, you know, he's learning about how he has to build this like chrysalis and, and, and he's got to wait two weeks inside this thing. And, right. and he's like, am I done yet? Is it time yet? And, and all of a sudden he, he develops these like skills for just like, I got this, you know, he, it's all about his self-talk and he's like, I can breathe through this. And, and, you know, we need that alternation of full immersion into our work and our, and our sport or whatever we're doing. And then we need a period of rest, you know, and, what we lack, we're, we're a society that goes, goes, goes. We think more is better, right? The more we do, the better we are. But we're missing a big component of that, which is the rest piece. Um, and, and time for our minds and bodies to almost consolidate 
the knowledge and the training that we've done and integrate that learning. You know, an interesting observation I always had was, you know, when we trained in the fall for sports, when I was coaching, we trained and, you know, sometimes we'd spend a whole season, right, on teaching them a couple concepts. And my co-coach and I would look at each other and be like, oh my goodness, they're not getting this. Like, how are they not doing this, right? And then back back in the dark ages when we really took off in the winter in between seasons, you know, you maybe did like a month of once a week training indoors. Mm -hmm. I was always amazed at when they came back in the spring, all of a sudden those things we were teaching them in the fall that they were not getting, it's like it just came together. My my co-coach and I would look at each other and be like, what happened? Like, and we didn't even spend a lot of time on it. It's just that our, you know, our, the way our brains and bodies work, it's a period of like, you know, full work and exertion and immersion, and then you need rest. And that's how we learn. And that, but we often forget about the rest part. And I think right. this pandemic has almost like forced us into doing so I think we've all been learning a lot of things about ourselves, about our world, and I'm hoping that we're going to take the lessons that we learn and move forward in a more productive, meaningful way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, you know, I'm glad you touched on the rest part too, because for me, I just think of it as lifting weights. Like you have to let your body re- to recover, you know, to build that muscle back up again. So, yep. um, so last question that I want to wrap up with Lauren is, what I like to ask everybody, and that is once you're done, you know, giving, teaching young athletes and teaching coaches, what is a couple of things or, you know, one or two things that you want these athletes to have said about you as a person, as a coach? <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. I love that question, by the way. I do that with a lot of my coaches too. Right? Right. What's the legacy? What do you want someone exactly. to say? I want all my players and all the students I work with to say she's someone that really listened to me, that cared about me, and that gave me the tools to be confident in myself and to understand myself um, so that I can be the, you know, so I'm able to be the best version of myself and to understand that that's always a work in progress. Um, I think that's what I would want people to say. Yeah, I love that. And I love the the tools part, right? You don't want them to, you don't want to have told them how to do it. You want them to, to do yeah. it on their own. So I love that. I love that. But okay, Lauren, that is all the time today. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, I, I know I learned a lot. I love listening to this stuff and it's awesome. And I'm sure every kid and every coach that you come in contact with has taken at least three things from you. So thank you for everything that you are doing for the next generation of players and Hope to speak with you soon. Thank you so much, Jesse, and keep up the great work. The fact that you are getting all of this out there and in the world, that is half the battle. So I really appreciate all your efforts and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jesse. Bye. Bye. Half the battle. So I really appreciate all your efforts and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jesse.